This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 1 and go through verse number 8. We're really going to focus on really more of just a phrase in verse number 7 here today. There be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort and love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fully my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That phrase there is really important. And took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As we look at this, it's really important to understand, first of all, to begin with, that there's certain things in the Bible that we cannot fully comprehend with our brains. It, just, it goes beyond human logic. It goes beyond, beyond human reasoning. When we talk about things like the Trinity, that God exists in three distinct persons, yet he is one God. We don't have three different gods. We have one God that exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which the Bible refers to as the Godhead, uh, a word that we use this that, to describe that that's not found in the Bible is the word Trinity. Not found in the Bible, it just speaks to the fact that God exists in three distinct persons, yet is one God. It's tough to explain that. Uh, you try to explain it to somebody and they say, so 33% of God is God the Father and 33%, oh, God the Father is 100% God, God the Son's 100% God, God the Holy Spirit, 100% God. Does that make up a 300% God? No, it makes one. We, we can't fully grasp it. And again, people have tried throughout human history to try to give uh, different types of illustrations that God is like a pie and different slices, but, but then again, uh, you know, it exists in one uh, whole God. We talk about the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. He always has been God. He always will be God. Uh, that even here while he was on earth, he was 100% man, yet at the same time, he was 100% God. It's one of those things that you scratch your head and you go, how does that function exactly? And we're going to try to unpack the, that the best that we can today. Again, at the end of the day, we just have to say, God does things that we don't always understand because God is God and we are not. But when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, one of the most important questions you will ever answer or anyone else will ever answer in their entire lifetime is this one question, who is Jesus? One question, who's Jesus? Now the answer to that question determines whether someone spends eternity in heaven, whether someone spends eternity in hell. Whether someone is a, what would be considered a Bible-believing Christian or whether one is considered a false teacher or a heretic, whether someone's involved in a cult, or whether someone can be called a brother and sister in Christ. The answer lies in this question. It's so pivotal that Jesus himself asked his apostles, and we find the, the account of it in two separate passages. I think the one uh, in Mark is in your notes there this morning. He asked him a question. Hey guys, who do people say that I am? 
Well, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say that you're Elijah. Some people say that you're Jeremiah. And Jesus says, interesting. But who do you say that I am? Peter pipes up. And Peter's known for saying some of the most headed things in all of the Bible. But Peter gets it right. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And in Matthew's account, Jesus says, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Not speaking of the fact that Peter was the truth, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Christ. That was the rock that Jesus was going to build his church upon. Because that question changes everything. When you think about that question, an easy way to spot a false teacher is to ask the question, who is Jesus? Oftentimes when I sit down and talk with folks uh, about the gospel, I'll say, who would you say that Jesus Christ is? And the answers vary. Uh, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a leadership guru. He was uh, just a regular guy. Some might say that he was a regular guy who became God. Other people would say that he was the son of God, but he wasn't really God. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God. He always was God. He always will be God. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but that doesn't make him any less God. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of mankind. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. That's who Jesus Christ is. But when people begin to say things like, he was a good man, but he wasn't God, then we can know these people are not Christians. When people say that Jesus was a lesser God, we can identify really quickly. We can separate the wheat from the chaff, if you will, as far as who are true believers and who are not, based on the answer to this very, very simple question. For us as Bible-believing Christians, there's, there's few doctrines in the Bible that are more important than the deity of Christ. This would be a, a keystone doctrine for us. It would be foundational. Like, without this, there is no Christianity. That's why the deity of Christ is of utmost importance. Because as we look at this, we understand that perfect righteousness and holiness are attributes of God and God alone. This attribute of being without sin, it's something that only relies in God. You and I have sinned against God and try as we might to stop sinning, we can't. That the only person who ever has been and ever will be sinless is God himself. Our daughter Tallulah is uh, three years old. And let's say that we tried to raise Tallulah from age birth to 33 years old without ever sinning one single time. We put things in her life to try to keep her away from sin and, 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 and we put boundaries up and we taught her and we were very careful to watch her 24 hours a day to ensure that she never sinned. Did you know you couldn't stop it? Because she's sinful, she's prideful, she's selfish, she cries when she doesn't get her way. When she thinks that she might be in trouble, she lies. <laughs> And nobody taught her these things. It's just automatically in her. Nobody taught her, hey, sweetheart, when you think you're going to get in trouble, tell something that's not true and then maybe you can get away with it. Nobody had to tell her that. She automatically knows. You know why? Because sin is present in her from the moment that she is born. So we couldn't create a sinless being if we tried because we are inherently sinful. So perfect righteousness and holiness, that's an attribute that belongs to God and to God alone. 
All men have sinned. Uh, the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned. Everybody who's ever has sinned because the Bible says sin uh, came into the world and has passed and death has passed upon all men for all have sinned. All of this is sin. There's no two ways about that. But here's the problem. If Jesus was not God, then that means that Jesus sinned. Oh, this, this begins to be very problematic. If Jesus was just a good man and Jesus was just a good teacher, then he sinned because all men are sinners. This is problematic. Because now if Jesus sinned, then Jesus has a sin debt to pay. So if Jesus sinned, now he owes God his life because the Bible says, Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, the wages of sin is death. And so now because Jesus has sinned, he owes God his life and he, he's facing God's wrath and judgment. And here's the problem. If Jesus has a sin debt, then Jesus cannot pay my sin debt because he has his own. That's why I never pay for your sin because I need payment for my own sin. I could never possibly forgive your sin because my own sin must be forgiven. So if Jesus can't forgive our sins, we're in serious trouble. Now we need a different Savior. If Jesus Christ is not God, then he is not Savior. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord, then we are in a heap of trouble. Because now the sin that I thought was off my back is now fully upon my back. I'm in need of a new Savior now. But because Jesus is God, because the Bible says this is probably one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible, because the Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That changes everything. Because Jesus was God, because Jesus came and he died in my place, I now have the forgiveness of sins. Now someone has already paid my debt, God nothing, that now my sin debt can be paid in full so that I can be forgiven. Now you might look at this and you go, well, Jesus is God, that's, that's not a huge deal. Who would possibly deny the deity of Christ? Like, who would deny the deity? Basically, all, nearly all non-Christian religions, and I say nearly because there's a few, nearly all non-Christian religions will deny the deity of Christ. For example, Judaism. Jews reject Christ as the Messiah. John chapter one tells us that, that he came into his own and his own received him not. To this day, Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come. And so they would reject Christ as God. Now, the good news is, is there are Jews that have been saved. We refer to these folks as Messianic Jews. These are our friends. These are our brothers in Christ. And if you ever meet a Messianic Jew, you should pick their brain because it's fascinating. Uh, they consider themselves ethnically to be Jews. They still keep feasts and, and customs of the Jewish faith uh, just for the sake of their culture. But they know that their sins are forgiven by the sacrifice that was made once and for all on Calvary. They know for sure that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, exactly how he claimed to be. And so Messianic Jews uh, would definitely be Christians and they would be our brothers and sisters in Christ. But Orthodox Jews, they're still waiting around for the Messiah. They reject the majority of the Bible as it is written and they're waiting for the Messiah to come. You take uh, religions like Islam. Islam would say that Jesus Christ was a good teacher and a prophet. 
And he would be kind of on the same level as the prophet Muhammad. But they would revere Muhammad as a higher prophet than Jesus Christ. They would say that Allah had no children, therefore Jesus Christ was definitely not the son of Allah, and that Allah had no children. So this, this should cause us to pause for just a second. I want to be really clear on this. If you say that Allah and God are the same God, and one of them has a son and one of them definitely doesn't, they're not the same God. So again, folks who would try to blend Christianity and Islam and say, well, we all pray to the same God, we just call him by different names. That is a lie. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. That is deception because Allah has no children, therefore Allah is not the Jehovah God of the Bible. Different people. And so Islam would deny that Jesus Christ was God. You take things like Buddhism. Buddhism would say that Jesus had some good thoughts. Uh, Jesus had some, some good uh, uh, principles that he lived by. Jesus definitely put positive energy into the universe, but as far as him actually being God, they would reject that idea because they reject the idea of any higher authority other than your own being and that one of these days you can reach the level of nirvana, a spiritual bliss where you no longer will be reincarnated any longer and they would reject Christ uh, as, as God for sure. Now, there are other religions. For example, the Hindu religion doesn't have a problem at all saying that Jesus Christ is God because they have hundreds if not thousands of gods and Jesus kind of just gets added to the group of people that are gods. We've got no problem calling him a god. That's okay. We're not against that. He's just one of the many gods. And so not everybody rejects Christ as, as God. Other uh, religions would say that we accept Jesus Christ as, as God, but he has no real authority in our lives. Or we, reject, uh, we receive Jesus Christ as maybe God, but uh, he doesn't have the ability to save or forgive and things like that. It just gets really, really convoluted there. But the majority, by and large, most major world religions that are not Christian would reject Christ as Messiah. Now, some might claim the name of Christian, but actually their, their belief in what Jesus Christ is uh, tells a different story. So there are groups that call themselves Christians that aren't, <laughs> this is going to blow your mind, there are folks who call themselves Christians that aren't really Christians. Now, I want to be ridiculously clear about this. It's not my job, it's not your job to go around pointing out fake Christians here, there, and everywhere. Okay? It's not my job to investigate every single person who claims to be a Christian and find out really whether or not they are a Christian. But here's the thing. When people make very clear statements that contradict the Bible, I don't have to do a lot of investigation to figure out whether or not you're really a Christian. If you say that many paths lead to heaven, eventually we'll all wind up the same place, and I'm a Christian, I know based on what you say that are not a Christian because you don't believe what Jesus himself said. I believe that we're all the children of God and eventually we'll go wind up in heaven, wherever that is for us. And heaven is the, the most beautiful place that you can think of for you. And, and we will all get to our place of spiritual bliss after this life is over. Friend, that is a lot of happy talk, but you, my friend, are not a Christian. You may say you're a Christian. And let me just tell you this, just because you bought a book at the Christian bookstore doesn't make it a Christian book. Just because you're at Barnes and Noble and there's a Christian section doesn't make it Christian. Just because there's Christian music on a Christian radio station doesn't make it Christian. What makes it Christian? Does it align with the Bible? That's the only criteria. Not, what does my pastor think about this song? Well, what would my church say about this song? What does the Bible say about this song? That's the litmus test for everything. So uh, it, it didn't take long 
probably about 107 AD, we actually have uh, a group of folks uh, by the name of the Ebionites. They were Jewish believers who we have record of in 107 AD had begun rejecting the deity of Christ. So this is not a new thing that's come about. This has actually happened in, uh, in 107 AD when we have record of it. 325 AD, again, there was a leader by the name of Arius who had a group of people that followed him, uh, that he also rejected the deity of Christ and his followers after him. More recent days, we could say that this would be the uh, Unitarians. Uh, deists would say that there is a God, but Jesus Christ was not him. Uh, there's a God out there in the universe, but it's definitely not, uh, he didn't have a son, his name wasn't Jesus. Unitarians have the belief that all roads eventually lead to heaven, whatever path you take. And so while many uh, Unitarians would call themselves Christians, uh, they are by far not even remotely Christian whatsoever. If you were ever to listen to, uh, go to a Unitarian church, they, they would read out of the, uh, the Quran with the same authority that they would read out of the Bible. They would same, read the teachings of Buddha that basically uh, we're all headed the same direction together. We might take this path, but we eventually find out, wind up at God, whoever he is to you. You might call yourself Christian if you believe that, but you are by far not a Christian. Other groups who would deny the deity of Christ, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would de- deny the deity of Christ. They say that Jehovah is the only God, that uh, his son Jesus was a lesser God. Uh, they even went so far as to create their own translation of the Bible, referred to as the New World Translation. That says, John 1.1, again, uh, would say, in the beginning was the God, and the word was with God, and the word was a lowercase God. So again, they've even twisted the scriptures to fit their, uh, their false theology. Mormons uh, would say that Jesus Christ was a regular guy like you and I who eventually became God. And that when you and I die, eventually we'll become the God of our own universe as well. And that there's many universes out there and many gods that are out there. And this just happens to be uh, the, the place where we have God over us. And when you die, you'll be the God of your own universe one day as well. And you will one, at one point become a deity in and of yourself. Again, Many uh, folks would call themselves Christians, but wouldn't necessarily be a Christian. Uh, one time I was uh, helping a, a guy in our church with his, his lawn care business. We were out cutting grass, and some folks came by in the neighborhood and gave me a card and said, hey, we got a new website we want you to check out. Check out this website. I said, oh, what is that? And they said, just look at the, look at the website when you get home. I said, well, what group are you guys with? Oh, we don't want to tell you because we don't want to spoil the surprise. <laughs> okay. So I take the card, and it says jw.org on it. I go, oh, no thanks, we're Christians. They said, we are too. I said, no, you're not. (laughs) Yes, we are. I would do a little research on Jehovah's Witnesses and where they came from, and the only people that think you're Christians are you. Just think about that. And I said, I don't want to argue with you because, again, I'm not trying to get an argument with people while I'm cutting the grass. But I want you to do your research and find out you're the only people in the world that think you're Christians. That should cause you concern. So again, people who might claim the name Christian, if you deny the deity of Christ, you're not a Christian. So the deity of Christ is a non-negotiable Bible doctrine. And if you deny the deity of Christ, you are not a Christian. That's it. Simple as that. So again, I'm not trying to pick and choose who is and who isn't. Your statements and your beliefs on who Jesus Christ is automatically outs you whether or not you're a Christian or not. Automatically. And again, it's not what I think. And I I need to be ridiculously clear on this. It doesn't amount to a hill of beans what you and I think. It doesn't matter who you think is a Christian or who I think is a Christian. It only matters what the Bible says. So again, this is our standard for everything 
we do. When it comes to being a Christian, the Bible tells you how to become a Christian. And again, when you deviate from that, you deviate from God's word. So when we talk, take a look at the deity of Christ, how do we find the deity of Christ in the Bible? First of all, we see the deity of Christ through his names. <clears throat> He's referred to as God. Isaiah 9, 6 uh, prophesies his birth. Isaiah says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So Isaiah prophesies the birth of the Messiah as God himself. Thomas in John chapter 20 tells the apostles there, hey guys, I won't believe that Jesus is really risen from the grave unless I see for myself. And Jesus says, Thomas, come here. Take a look at my hands. Take a look at my side. And when Thomas sees that, he immediately falls down on his face and begins to worship. And he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't stop him and go, whoa, Thomas, what are you talking about, God? Stop that God talk. I'm a good teacher. I'm a good man. I'm a prophet from God, but not God. What are you doing, Thomas? He doesn't stop him. Jesus receives worship. When Jesus was in the, the boat and a great storm came up and they woke him up and they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And then Jesus told the wind to be still. And they said, what type of man is this that the winds and the waves obey? And the Bible says that they bowed and worshiped him. Jesus didn't say, guys, knock it off. I just told the wind to stop. You don't have to worship me. Jesus knew that the only person that was worthy of worship was God the Father. And Jesus received worship. Next, John chapter 8, verse number 58. Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, this is one of the most inflammatory statements that Jesus ever made. John 8, 58. Because they're talking back and forth, and they say, well, our father Abraham said this, and who do you think you are? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, critical that you understand this. Jesus didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what that meant. Because if you pull the Bible back to the Exodus, when Moses was going to go talk to Pharaoh, Moses said to God, I don't even know what, what name to tell him of who sent me. What's your name? And God says, I am that I am. That means I don't have a creator. I don't have a beginning. Nobody made me. I am the self-existent God who always has been throughout all of eternity. And I am. And so when Jesus says, hey guys, before Abraham was, I am. They knew precisely what he meant. Jesus was claiming to be the Jehovah God of the Bible, the same God that sent Moses into Egypt. Jesus says, yeah, that was me. And these guys are flipping out because that's one of the most blasphemous things in the world that you could possibly say. But Jesus claimed it. Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, Therefore the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew 1, 23 tells us that the name Emmanuel means what? God with us. Man, that's heavy. We don't name our kids Emmanuel. You know why? Because that means God with us. You wouldn't name your kid God, but Jesus Christ could be. Even the name Jesus, his name, is the name Yeshua, which is also the, the name Joshua. 
That word literally means Jehovah saves. And so Jesus, by being God in the flesh, by claiming to be Jehovah God, by having the name Jesus says, I save. That's heavy. That's huge. Hebrews chapter one, verse number eight, this is awesome. Jesus isn't claiming to be God. Some prophet didn't claim for Jesus to be God. Hebrews chapter one, verse number eight says that God the Father in heaven has said, but he saith unto the Son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And God the Father commands all the angels of heaven to worship God the Son. It doesn't get any clearer than when God the Father calls God the Son, God. It's kind of as clear as it gets. So again, the idea of the deity of Christ isn't something that's, that's uh, widely disputed. It's, it's, it's a strange thing if you would deny the deity of Christ because it is ridiculously crystal clear all throughout the Bible. Jesus also claims to be the Son of God. John chapter three, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you misunderstand Jewish culture, you would think that Jesus had just automatically given him the second place spot in the Godhead. You would think, well, Jesus didn't claim to be God. He claimed to be the son of God, which makes him a lesser version of God, right? You don't understand Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, the son had every single right that the father had. You think of it in terms of what we have today. Think of it as a blanket power of attorney. The son could enter into contracts for the family. The son had access to all the resources of the father, had access to the bank account, the cattle that he owned, land that he owned. He could buy and sell on behalf of the father and didn't have to get permission. He was equal with the father in every way possible. When the father passed away, you know who got the inheritance and who ruled the roost after that? Firstborn son, always. So when Jesus claimed to be the son of God, take a look at John chapter five, verse number 17 in your notes. But Jesus answered and said, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore the Jews sought to more to kill him. Because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Like, hold up, did that guy just say that he was the son of God? Oh, let, let's strangle him, let's kill him. That's blasphemy of the highest level to make himself equal with God. Jesus didn't have a problem making that claim. He truly was the son of God in place of the father with full authority on behalf of the father, equal with God the father. No problem saying that. I want to pause here for just a second and take a quick aside and tell you that there is also some false teaching out there. It's very popular, especially in Pentecostal circles, called the little God theology, little, little God theology. If you want to Google that later, you can. Basically, the idea is this, and it's, it's one of the most blasphemous, heretical, and really, at the end of the day, stupid things that I've ever heard in my life. And the idea is this. When you and I become Christians, the Bible says that Jesus Christ gave us power to become the sons of God. John chapter 1 says, right? Well, when we become the sons of God, now we're equal with God, just the way that Jesus Christ was. So we can stand in place of God with all the authority of God. Therefore, you and I are now all gods. And we can now create things. We can now speak things into existence. We now say how things go and they must fall in line because we now are little gods. That is one of the most blasphemous, foolish, and flat out stupid things 
ever to come out uh, of ridiculous theology, the idea that you and I would become gods. Well, we're made in the image of God. That made in the image of means a copy of, not exactly like. And so, again, that just doesn't fly at all. But when Jesus says, I am the Son of God, he was saying, I am directly equal with God the Father. We also find the claims that Jesus Christ made. John chapter 17, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, John 17, 5, if it's in your notes, I want you to look at it. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus makes two ridiculously powerful statements in that one verse. The first thing he says is, God, give me our glory back. Now, Jesus would have known that in the book of Isaiah, God says, my glory will I not give to another. I will not share my glory with anybody else. So again, for Jesus to ask for the glory that he had with the Father means that the glory that belongs to God alone, Jesus was asking for because he had rightful access to it. Second thing that Jesus says here, give me the glory that we had together before the world began. You know what Jesus is saying? I've always been. Before the world ever was, I've been here. Now again, false teaching and adults will say that Jesus Christ only came on the scene in Bethlehem. That Jesus is a kind of a new thing that got started. Uh, and Jesus kind of kicked off a different era when he was born because he didn't exist before that. Jesus disagrees with that. Jesus says he was around before the world ever began. Now, again, eternality is an attribute of God. You and I are created beings. The angels are created beings. Everything on this earth is created, but the one who is not created that is eternal is God. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are co-eternal. They always have been. They always will be. They have no beginning. They have no end. John chapter 4, verse number 25, Jesus claims, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called the Christ. He's talking to the woman at the well. She said, I know Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am, am, am him. Hey, I know Messiah is coming and he's here. It's me. So Jesus, with this woman, claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to be the Christ, Mark chapter 2, verse number 5. When Jesus saw faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, he said, My sins be forgiven thee. But there are certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their heart. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Yeah, you're right, scribes. Who has the right to forgive sins except for God himself? Nobody can. Did you know that I, as a pastor, don't have the right to tell you that your sins are forgiven? I don't, that, that's, not my, that's not my place to say. Did you know that there's no priest that you can tell your sins to in a closet that can tell you your sins be forgiven you? He doesn't have the right. He doesn't have the authority. Even the scribes in the Bible knew that the only person that can forgive sins is God. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, Jesus is saying that he had the authority to do that. And that's a thing that's only for God. Now, I can, as a pastor, tell you if you will confess your sin to God and repent of your sin that you can be forgiven, but I don't have the authority to do that. But the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you can confess your sin and be forgiven, but I don't have the ability to do that. Only God does. But Jesus had that authority because he was God in the flesh. Revelation chapter one, verse number 17. John went to heaven 
and wrote the book of Revelation. He says, when I saw him speaking of Jesus Christ, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me and said, fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys to hell and of death. Jesus says, hey man, don't worry. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. And if anybody has authority, if anybody has the keys to death and hell, it's me. Don't worry, John, I've got this. We also see the marks of Jesus Christ's deity. First of all, he fulfilled all the messianic prophecies. Every single prophecy is made in the, the Old Testament of the coming of the Messiah. Jesus Christ fulfilled those, even to his birthplace. It was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, and he was born in Bethlehem. It was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. Guess what? He was born of a virgin. Many of the other prophecies, the things that would happen and the way that it would come together were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Other marks of his deity, we see his sinless and miraculous life. Again, the fact that he could live 33 and a half years and never sin one single solitary time, that's unique. Only God could do that. The miracles that he performed, only God could do them on the level of that. Now again, we, we see in the book of Exodus where the magicians that Pharaoh had, there were certain uh, magic tricks that they could perform, certain types of things that they did that were satanic to take the focus off of the things that God wanted to do. People can do miracles maybe, people can do black magic, satanic, uh, things like that, but nobody could do things on the level that Jesus Christ did ever. Nobody ever raised the dead like Jesus and so again, we look at his life and say, that's proof, that's mark of the fact that he was God. Next, Jesus Christ was resurrected of his own power. That was prophesied in the Old Testament, prophesied in the New Testament, and frankly, it was prophesied by Jesus himself. Tear down this temple, and I'll build it again, again in three days. What? It took decades to build this temple. You say you can do it in three days? Yep, I can. Watch. He wasn't talking about the temple, he's talking about his own body. He prophesied not only his death, how he would die, he also prophesied his resurrection of his own power. It's huge. So again, the deity of Christ, very, very clear. Now I said all that because it leads into Philippians chapter two, verse number seven. This is, this is important. Philippians two, seven, where it says, he made himself of no reputation. That phrase there is it's translated in uh, the King James Bible, made himself of no reputation. If you have a different English translation of the Bible, it might just say he emptied himself. But the idea is this, that Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, verse number six says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now again, depending on your translation of the Bible, you might have a different phrase for that. But when it says that Jesus being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God means that Jesus wasn't taking anything that didn't belong to him by being equal with God. Your English translation might say that he thought it not something to be grasped. That basically means that Jesus is not trying to be equal with God because he already was equal with God. So again, verse number six just clarifies the fact that Jesus Christ was in the form of God and he was equal with God. But then we get to that phrase, made himself of no reputation. As Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he used the Greek language to write this letter. And the word that he used there is the word echinese, which we translate into the word kenosis. The word kenosis, according to the concise uh, Oxford English Dictionary, is this, it's a full or partial renunciation of Jesus' divine nature by Christ 
in the incarnation. So when Jesus Christ became a man, he gave up a portion of his divine nature. Now notice it says in here, partial or full, because that's really the rub when it comes to uh, canonic theologies. We'll take a look at as we unpack that idea in just a, a second here. But the idea is this, that Jesus emptied himself. Again, it comes from the Greek word ekonese, which means to empty or to purge. Now, what exactly did Jesus empty or purge? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us. It just tells us that he emptied himself, that he made himself of no reputation. So when Jesus emptied himself, what did he empty himself of? What was he purged of? First of all, Jesus emptied himself of his divine divine prerogative and privilege. What that means is Jesus took the things that he was deserving of, the privileges that he had, and he set those to the side to become a man. I think this can be well demonstrated that when Jesus went into the temple, what did he do? He taught. When Jesus went into the temple, he didn't set a throne up there and said, hey guys, God's in your presence, bow down and worship. When he rolled into town, he didn't roll into town and say, hey guys, God's here, show up, come on and worship. Come on, give me the glory. Come on, praise me, I'm here. You know what he did? And he served. He went and he loved. He went and wept with people. He found ways to be able to take the truth of God's word and communicate that appropriately to people. He told them about the coming kingdom. He told them about the forgiveness of sins that he would provide. When Jesus emptied himself, he limited himself and took on human form. By becoming a man, Jesus laid aside certain parts of him of the fact that God requires no sleep. God requires no food or water, requires nothing for sustenance. Jesus became a man and took on himself those human limitations. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus got sad. Jesus got disappointed. Jesus, as he carried his own cross up to Calvary, stumbled under the weight of his own cross and could not carry it up the hill to Calvary. You look at that and you say, hmm, well, if God is all-powerful, which he is, why couldn't he carry his cross up? Because Jesus had laid aside his omnipotence, all-powerful, for the moment of coming to the cross. God could have any t- any point taken the cross up for him if he wanted to. Take Samson. Samson got the spirit of God on him and killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. God could have infused Jesus Christ with the power necessary to carry that cross up the rest of the way, couldn't he? Yeah, for sure. But you know what Jesus did? He humbled himself and says, I'm not going to take that power because I need to feel this. I need to bear the weight of people's sins. I need to be mistreated. I need to be punished. You say, why did Jesus need to be punished? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus Christ at that moment had personified sin. Jesus could have on the cross taken upon himself the fact that God feels no physical pain, but Jesus laid aside that feel the weight of the sin of mankind. So he laid aside his divine nature to some degree and took upon a human form. Jesus emptied himself of 
reputation, made of himself no reputation. Again, he didn't show up with a big name tag that said God on it. He didn't show up everywhere expecting people to roll out the red carpet for him because God's in town now. Even when he claimed to be Messiah, people still rejected his claim of being Messiah. So he didn't go around trying to make a name for himself of of the fact that he was God in the flesh. He just served. There's one definition I found of the word reputation. said this, reputation, a good name, the credit or honor or character which is derived from a favorable public opinion or esteem. Reputation is a valuable species or property of right which should never be violated. Here's what the, this uh, one dictionary said. With the loss of reputation, a man, and especially a woman, loses most of the enjoyments of life. Once your name is dragged through the mud, you don't really have a lot to, left other than your good name. But you know what? Jesus wasn't trading on his father's name or his own name. You know what he did? He took upon himself the form of a man and he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he emptied himself of his reputation. He emptied himself of his divine privileges. He emptied himself of everything that would have advanced his cause for the purpose of becoming God. Now, the rub with canonic or kenosis theology is this. The idea of kenosis theology is that Jesus divested himself of all of his divine attributes, even his omniscience and omnipotence, so that his incarnate life of the divine person is revealed solely through a human consciousness. Canonic theology has the errant idea that Jesus took his deity and everything that made him God and set it to the side and was 100% human, but 0% God. You look at that and you go, well, that could make sense. The Bible does say that he emptied himself and he could have emptied himself. He wasn't the form of God. He emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. That might make sense. But again, the idea that if Jesus stopped being God, what does that mean for our salvation? It means your salvation is null and void. And again, the, the idea of Jesus laying aside his deity, one author put it this way, advocates of canonic theology would uniformly contend under enables seeing Jesus Christ as a real, growing, limited human without creating a sense that God is not somehow deeply involved in exactly this man. Here's the idea. That Jesus grows up and he has his first memory at maybe three or four years old and he thinks to himself, what am I doing here? What's going on? What am I supposed to do with my life? And that he exists fully in consciousness be human and walk through this miraculous and sinless life with 100% humanity and 0% deity. You look at that and you go, well, that can't possibly be. Absolutely. And again, the idea of, uh, of canonic theology is based upon this one single solitary verse, Philippians 2.7, emptied himself. And they take that to an extreme. So always be careful of anybody who builds an entire doctrine on one word and one verse. Be very wary of that. Because we have to look at the totality of all of Scripture. We have to look at the rest of the Bible and find out how that fits with Philippians chapter 2, verse number 7. And when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and they reasoned in their hearts and he knew what they were thinking, we have to look at that and say, Jesus wasn't just guessing what they were thinking. 
He knew because he was omniscient, all-knowing God. When Jesus said, hey, gather up that little boy's lunch and I'm getting ready to feed these 5,000 people, he wasn't just stretching it and hoping nothing ran out. He had all power given to him by the Father to be able to perform a miraculous feast that would then draw people to the truth of the gospel. So again, we have to look at the totality of Scripture, not build an entire basis of theology based off one word in one verse that just says emptied. I have to say emptied himself of what? Proponents of canonic theology would go to Mark chapter 13, verse number 32, where it says that, that no man knows the day or the hour when, when Christ shall return. Even the Son doesn't know that only the Father does. And so they say, see, uh, Jesus Christ doesn't have the full knowledge of the Father because he's emptied himself of the deity. And so this author says, did Christ know or not know the time of the end? Orthodoxy says that he must know for he's the presence of omniscient God. Of course he knows because he's, he's all-knowing God in the flesh. However, for some reason, he's chosen not to reveal this knowledge. Canonic theorists insist that the text means apparently what it says, that God himself, the, the Son, limited himself to human and real development. He was genuinely dependent on the Father and he just didn't know. So again, the idea that there's anything that Jesus Christ doesn't know because he hasn't figured it out yet, to... to have the idea that Jesus, without any oversight from the Father and without any pre-knowledge of the Father, just lived this miraculous life uh, that saved mankind, just doesn't jive with the rest of the Bible. It doesn't even make sense logically when you think it all out. But when we think about the emptying of himself, that word, the echinose, the where we get our word kenosis, where Jesus emptied himself, when you think that through with the totality of Scripture, you see that the kenosis began in his father's presence with his pre-incarnate, before he ever came to the manger, his choice to assume our nature. So when God the Father said to God the Son, hey, it's time to be born of a virgin. It's time. Jesus made a decision at that point to begin the emptying of himself. And he made a choice to come and be born of a virgin, to be born a man, to save mankind from their sins. And it led inevitably to his final obedience to the cross when he did to the fullest extent pour out his soul unto death. So we find that Jesus Christ emptied himself of some of the prerogatives of his deity. He's no longer omnipresent the way that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are. He now was finite in his presence. He could only be in one place at one time. He never gave up his omniscience. He never gave up his omnipotence. He never gave up his righteousness and, and holiness. Only laid aside portions of that. He no longer required the worship of all men, no longer required the glory of the Father. That's why, again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Son said to the Father, Father, I want the glory back that we had before the world began. <laughs> There's coming a moment where this emptying process is done, and I want to fully receive everything that belongs to me. And that might sound on the surface kind of um, like Jesus, highly of himself. Almost like, a, hey, you know, Jesus, pretty highly of himself. He's asking for everything that he deserves. Here's the difference between him and us. He really deserved it. He really deserved the, the worship. He really deserved the glory. He really deserved the, the praise, honor that was due to him. You and I don't. So Jesus wasn't being conceited. Jesus didn't want something that didn't belong to him. He wanted exactly what belonged to him. And again, it has to be critically understood this way. Jesus never laid aside his deity. Never, not once.
Jesus was always God. Jesus is always God. And again, we have to be clear when we say, we don't say that Jesus was God because Jesus is still alive. And he still is God. And he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's coming back one day. And he never stopped being God. The song we sang uh, last week uh, was written by Wesley, And Can It Be. Last week we sang, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? In there, it was originally written by uh, Charles Wesley. Was, uh, him and his brother were Methodist uh, preachers back in the late 1800s. The phrase says, And he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite, his grace. And it was written, Emptied of himself, all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy, all immense and free, for oh my God, if Adam, amazing love, how can it be? We sang that last Sunday, for those of you here, right? There's a quick version of it, okay? I'll stop and sing the whole thing if you want me to. I don't have a problem with that. But we sang this, this song last, last week. But there's one phrase in there. This is how it was written. There's one phrase that we changed. Instead of emptied himself of all but love, our church and many churches throughout uh, the last 100 years or so have changed that one phrase, emptied himself because of love. You might say, does that really make a difference? I think it does. Because it recognizes the fact that Jesus didn't empty himself of his deity. He didn't empty himself of everything that he had except for love. But he emptied himself of his privileges of being God for a moment. Why? Because of his love for us. And again, you might say, well, that's kind of a a small thing. Hey, look, folks, even the songs we sing have to be doctrinally accurate. There's songs that that, that I grew up singing as a kid. They're fun songs to sing. They just don't jive with the Bible, so we don't sing them. So even the songs that we sing need to be biblically accurate, and so that might be a small thing, but I, I believe it speaks to a larger truth. Now, a few other th- quick things about Jesus Christ. First of all, Jesus Christ is eternal God. He always has been. He always will be. Again, eternality is an attribute of God. It's who God is. It's part of his character. Again, false religions would say that Jesus Christ uh, began in Jerusalem. That's not true. Not begin in Jerusalem, that was only the incarnation. So Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't begin in the New Testament. Jesus always has been and always will be because he is God. Because if Christ is a created being, he's not God. Just like the angels are created beings, you and I are created beings. If we are created, that means we're not God because one of the attributes, again, of God is his eternality. And again, if you just take a look at, at, at creation, we don't have time to, to unpack all that, but just, again, in the beginning, God, <laughs> to think that the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus Christ created all things and there's nothing that was created by him that was not created. So in Genesis 1-1, when we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the God that is talking about there is Jesus Christ. That even in creation, the Father, This might even sound blasphemous to you, but I want you to help you understand this. In creation, God the Father took a back seat to God the Son to allow him to speak everything into creation. That's crazy. You know why? Because one's not above the other. There's not a pecking order of God the Father's on top, God the Son's second, and then God the Holy Spirit's third. No, they're all equally God. They just have different roles and different functions. One's not greater than 
the other. So in the beginning of time, when God the Son spoke the world into existence, and if again you read the, the, the account in Genesis, and the Spirit of God moved across the deep of the water, you see the Holy Spirit in creation in the book of Genesis. It's crazy. We don't have time to unpack it today, but you should at some point. The name for God that's used in Genesis 1-1 is the, the name Elohim. And in Hebrew, the, the, the name Elohim is the name that's used, that we use for God. In, in Hebrew, there's different plurals for God, and that, that word Elohim is actually a plural. And there's plurals of two or more, and there's plurals of three or more, and the word Elohim is a plural of three. <laughs> See, in the beginning, God, it's already setting up the Trinity in Genesis 1-1. You, you can't escape it. And so Jesus Christ is eternal God. He always has been. And so if, uh, if Christ is, is a created being, then he's not God. Again, cults deny the deity of Christ. And again, if you were to, some people say, well, I think cult's a harsh word for, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons and things like that. If you look up the definition of the word cult, it actually fits. And so again, that's a, a good phrase to use for it. Uh, the book, we had our bookstore. I think we're out. We might get some more next week. Um, uh, Field Guide on False Teaching. Again, uh, it's this book right here. I have one copy left, I think. Um, but um, really helpful book. It talks about how to share the gospel with these people. And we're talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. One of the things you gotta go back to is, is who Jesus Christ is. You can't get around that. And if you're the deity of Christ, you're not a Christian uh, and you, you don't believe the Bible. Now, uh, again, I've talked to some Jehovah's Witnesses before and even on their church website, or, or their I don't know what they call the Kingdom Kingdom Hall website, Watchtower website. It says that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. That we're basically fabricating this thing that Jesus Christ claimed to be God. We're trying to bolt it onto him, and he never claimed that. That really couldn't be further from the truth. First of all, Jesus claimed to be Jehovah God. When Jesus says, "Before Abraham was, I am," he was claiming to be the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. Secondly, Jesus claims to be Messiah God. Again, he sat with the woman at the well and told her, hey, you heard that Messiah is coming. I am him. When Peter says, when Jesus said to Peter, who do people say that I am? Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Who do you say that? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus didn't stop and go, whoa. I'm a prophet like those other guys. but No, he didn't. He says, yeah, you're right. Upon this foundation, I will build my church, he said. Next, Jesus claimed to be God by accepting worship. Again, he didn't reject worship. He didn't say, oh, time out. I'm a good teacher, but I'm not really God. You know, hey, hey, praise God up there. Don't praise me. He didn't do that. He received the worship that was due. Next, Jesus claimed to be, have equal authority with God. Again, by calling himself the Son of God, he claimed to have equal authority as the Father. And then Jesus also claimed to be God by requesting in his name. Asking thing in my name and the Father will give it to you. That's claiming deity. That's claiming to be God. Can you imagine praying in my name? And Lord, we ask all these things in the name of pastor. Amen. How foolish would that be? How far is that going to get your prayers? Nowhere. And we pray all these things in the name of Billy, Bobby, and Tommy. Amen. What would that Nothing. But when Jesus says, pray in my name and the Father will give it to you, that's authority. And so by claiming to be able to pray in his name and the Father is going to give you whatever you want, he's basically saying, hey, my word is good because I am equal with the Father. 
Now, even on the, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses website, jw.org, that cool website they were trying to, and here's the thing, those people trying to give me that card but didn't want to tell me they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Why, why do you have to lie about who you are? Why do you have to try to trick people into going to a website that you won't even tell people who you are, what you belong to? Hey, folks, I got a shirt on this, who we call it, and I'll tell you, I'm a Christian, I'm not ashamed of it. And I want to give you the gospel. And if you want, I'll sit down and explain it to you. I'm not trying to trick you into going to some website. I'm not trying to give you something and try to trick you into coming to church. I'm proud of it. And if you're ashamed of who you are, you, you need to, to basically rethink things. But if you go to JW's website, they'll say, hey, Jesus himself said that he wasn't equal with the Father. In John chapter 14, verse number 28. You'd heard said, and I now say unto you, I go away and, and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go into the Father, for my Father is greater than I. See, Jesus himself even says he's not equal with the Father. Jesus himself even says that there is an order of the most important and God's at top and Jesus is second. You can't get around that. Again, we have to stop for a second and cannot build our entire theology based on a fraction of one verse. You just can't do it. You got to look at the totality of scripture together. You give me that one verse where Jesus says that he's not equal to God. I'll give you 10 other verses where Jesus claims to be equal to God. And so again, it's not a matter of equal or not. It's not a matter of superior or inferior. It's a matter of difference. And so when it comes to Jesus and the Father, Jesus is equal in his divine nature. He's equal in his divine essence. He's equal in divine attributes. And he's equal in his divine character. He's perfect, righteous, holy, sinless, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent. He knows everything. He can be everywhere. He has the ability to forgive sins because he is God, period, in the story. Now, Jesus is subordinate to the Father in the fact that he took on a human nature, in the fact that he took on a human function. He fulfilled a human office, and he had a human position. But that didn't make him any less God. He was just subordinate in that form. But friend, Jesus is in that form, therefore Jesus is no longer subordinate in any of those areas. Jesus Christ is resurrected, ascended to heaven on high, sits at the right hand of the Father. And again, unless you say that, well, Jesus isn't on the throne, the Father's on the throne, he's just on the right hand. You don't understand how God works. The right hand in the Bible is always the hand of power, always the hand of favor, always the hand of blessing. And so Jesus sits in an exalted place of the Father. And, and then again, if you take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, it says that the Son, the throne belongs to the Son, the scepter of righteousness belongs to the Son, and all the angels in heaven bow down and say, Thy throne, O God, is established forever. So again, you can't get around the fact that Jesus is in no way subordinate to the Father or lesser than the Father. And this brings us to a, a good theological not useful on a day-to-day basis, but put it in the, in, in the back of your cap and you might pull it out one day, the word hypostatic union. <laughs> hypostatic union is a fancy uh, theological term to mean that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And again, you might be a math nerd and sit there and scratch, so I don't know a lot about math, but I know this, that's 200%. Yeah, I know, it doesn't work out. Just is what it is, though. Jesus never stopped being God, and he never stopped being man while he was here on this earth, ever. 
And so hypostatic union is a good way to say that he existed in two distinct natures in the exact same time in the one person of Jesus Christ. Now, all this for us means this, that Jesus Christ is our only Savior. Jesus Christ was God who became man to die for the sins of mankind. That if there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, friend, Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And the only way that you can be born again is by faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of your sins. And if you've never done that, you need to do it today. Because all the Bible knowledge in the world will never save you from the wrath and destruction and punishment that you deserve, that I deserve. The only hope that we have is the grace and mercy of God given through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That's it. I love what the characterization that Josh McDowell gave. If you've never read uh, The Evidence That Demands a Verdict, it's a book about this thing. It just basically, uh, Josh McDowell is an apologist, which basically means he def- uh, gives you ways to defend your faith. It's a really good book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and it comes down to the idea that this, people want to say that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a good man who taught good morals, but he wasn't really God. He, uh, he was maybe a prophet, maybe a religious leader, uh, maybe a leadership guru, but he wasn't necessarily God. But here's the problem, you can't have it both ways. Because if Jesus was a good man, yet he was a liar, If he claimed to be the son of God, he claimed to be God, he wasn't really a good man at all. He perpetuated one of the largest scams in all of human history. If he was just a good teacher, so he can't just be a good teacher. Or he was confused, crazy, not really all there, claiming to be God in the flesh. There's a gal who came in here probably a year and a half or so ago, Came in late to the service and we were singing our closing chorus and she made it her, she got up in the back and started dancing around and stuff like that while we're singing the closing chorus. And I know, I know the doxology gets you in the feels sometimes, but it's just not, not really a dancey kind of song, you know, but she was, she was cutting a rug back there and letting it go. And so our guys took notice. They kind of, you know, cordoned off a little dance floor over there for her and kind of let her do her thing. And then after the service is over, I went up to her and I said, I said, I said, hey, I said, thanks for being here today. I said, my name's Anthony, what's your name? And she said, I'm God. Okay. Um, Again, what's your name? My name is God, and I've written a book, and you might have read it. It's called the Bible. And she goes on and on about it. I I wrote the book of Jeremiah. Have you ever read Jeremiah before? Some people people call him the weeping prophet. I gave Jeremiah the words to say, because I'm God. And I said, I'm going to ask you one last time before I call the police what your name is. And she said, my name's Rachel. (laughs) Okay, Rachel. I'm going to ask you to step outside. We're gonna have a quick talk, uh, and um, and we went out there, and she was belligerent and cussing me out and stuff like that, and all this other stuff. It was an exciting time for sure. But the moment I says, "What's your name?" and she says, "God," I realized you're not all there, right? The lights are on, but nobody's home. Uh, that that something's not right somewhere. But when Jesus came, if Jesus was just a good teacher, if Jesus was just a leadership guru, then he was a little bit off in some other areas, a little bit eccentric, a little bit weird. If he claimed to be something that he really was. And so Josh McDowell comes up with the idea, and I love this, that Jesus Christ was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he's the Lord. (laughs) He is who he said that he was. Those are your only three options. He can't just be a religious teacher. He can't just be a prophet because if he is, he's a liar. He can't just be a good guy because he said some way out there stuff. 
you know, destroyed the temple and I'll raise it again in three days? What kind of crazy person would say that? I'm going to die and it's okay because I'm going to resurrect the third day of my own power. Who says stuff like that? The Lord. That's it. So again, it's one of those things that you can't have your cake and eat it too. Jesus can't just be a good teacher and a good leadership guru and we respect his life. He has to be a massive fraud or seriously, a guy in serious need of mental help, or he has to be who he says that he was, and he has to be the Lord. This kenosis, this idea of emptying of Jesus began before his incarnation was complete at his sacrifice on the cross. I love this, love this, love this. Last verse we'll take a look at today. Isaiah chapter 53. Never read Isaiah 53. Oh my goodness, you gotta read it like today. It's really short. But it's a prophecy. It's written hundreds of years before Jesus would ever be crucified. And it goes down to the very detail of how he would be crucified. And it is so rich. If you're reading it like, oh, this is a recap of what he went through, you'd be like, oh, that was kind of cool. But if you're reading it as like, God told us hundreds of years before, this is exactly how it would go down. It's, it's phenomenal. But verse 12, when we think of it in the form of this kenosis, he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself, he purged himself. And you read verse 12 in light of that, it's deep. Therefore I will divide with him, speaking of Jesus, a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Oh my goodness. That while he hung up on the cross, while the sky went black, while he cried out in darkness, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And God literally turned his back on his own son and left him there to suffer and bleed and die because of my sin, because of your sin. Isaiah 53, 12 says that he was numbered with the transgressors. God treated him just the way that you and I deserve to be treated. And he hung there and he said, it is finished. And his soul was poured out unto death. Hmm. Verse 12 says, so that he could become an intercessor for the transgressors. Who's the transgressors? Me? You? Hmm. Why did Jesus empty himself? Me? You? Why did he lay all that glory aside? Why did he lay that power aside? Why did he come and treat it that way? My sin? Your sin? This pouring out wasn't just an emptying before he left heaven to get, kind of get things ready before he left. No, this pouring out took his entire life. And it culminated upon his death upon the cross. And friend, when he rose from that grave the third day victorious, he wasn't holding anything back at that point. He wasn't left his glory in heaven. No, he received his glory at that point. When he was received up into heaven, the angels took him, and he was back in a place of glory again with the Father. And when he comes again, he's going to come in great power and glory again. And what an amazing, amazing thought. Most important thing in the world is if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved. There's never been a time in your life where you've been born again. The Bible knowledge in the world won't take you to heaven. You need to be saved. And shall enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Have you been saved? If not, today's your day. 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he had the ability to forgive your sins? If so, today's the day to make good on that. And I say, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm sure if I die today, I'm 100% sure I'm going to heaven. Good. Are you living a life that was worth Jesus dying for? Are you taking that grace and mercy that you've been given and really investing it well? Do you realize all that was given up for you to be able to be forgiven? Oh man, I hope so. And if so, I hope that motivates us this week to live for Jesus. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.